The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. This isn't as loud as the, the uh, or as big as the gym I have. Trust me, this past week with, with about 30 middle school boys in a gym bigger than this, I can project, no problem. But speaking of basketball, um, some of you know I, I teach Bible at Valley Christian High School up in Cerritos, and I also coach the boys' basketball team. I've done that since I've been there. I've been the varsity coach for the last about 10 years. I, I lose track. But anyway, let me tell you about my job with basketball a little bit and try to form an analogy and hope that fits with you. So the day or two, depending on our schedule, I sit down with my team and we go over a scouting report. And we're going to throw a scouting report up here. And I know the font is really small. I don't expect that you can see any, any words on here, but you can kind of see the template and the idea. We have the first page is just of their personnel. Okay, and it talks about, okay, here are their starters, and they have this guy, you know, number one, and he's six foot five, and, you know, he shoots the three, and he likes to drive the basket, and just all the kind of the player tendencies in terms of their skills, in terms of their decision making, sometimes in terms of their character. And we go through, here are their five starters, and here are the guys that we're going to use to guard these guys. Here are the key reserves off the bench and what they like to do and what they don't like to do, their strengths, their weaknesses. Then we get to the next page of the scouting report, and you start to see some more team strategy-specific stuff. I talk about, you know, their team defense. Well, you know, this team, they like to run a 1-3-1 zone. You know, they often like to trap other man-to-man, or they'll press full court, or they'll do all these sort of things. And I know I'm speaking Greek to some of you in terms of all my numbers and, you know, basketball slang. But then we have some of their offensive strategies. You know, they really like to push the break. Then they might get in their Princeton action. They're on these cutters. And so, you know, we kind of talk about these things. Then I talk to my guys, say, this is our game plan. This is what we're going to do. These are the places I think we're going to be successful. These are the things I think we need to avoid. On offense, we're going to run this, and we're going to do that. We're going to try to take advantage of these matchups. And on defense, we're going to run it this way, and we're going to handle these certain screens and movements and things like this. And then finally, to finish off the scouting report, I have kind of our keys to the game. These are the most important things, guys. So we do that about two days before the game. Then we have practice. And in practice, we start to do what I'll call our dress rehearsal. So I have my... My scout squad guys on my team, they start to run all the plays that our opponent is going to run. And we talk about, okay, on, on this screen, make sure we get on this side. We're going to push and chase and make sure we switch that. Or we're going to trap this. We're going to do this. We just kind of go through step by step, basically like a practice test, okay, a, a dress rehearsal. And then the day of the game comes. And in the locker room, you know, everybody's in the crowd watching the JV team or the girls team. And we're getting ready in the locker room. We just kind of touch up on this one last quick review then the guys go out on the floor and they warm up. And they're getting kind of excited and kind of nervous. And we bring them in the huddle one last time before we're going to tip it up. And I just say this, just do what I told you to do. Just do what I told you to. And I always tell my guys this, if you're really good at this, just do what you're good at. And I say, don't do what you're not good at. Just play to your strengths. Do what you've been trained to do. And then they go out there and sometimes they do it. And it's beautiful, like, oh, yeah, they're doing just like we said. But, of course, they're teenage guys. and Sometimes they want to do things their own way, just like my own children, maybe sometimes like some of us. It was like my assistant coach, Mr. Brass, you know Mr. Brass, and he was a teacher of a couple of you, he'll turn to me and say, if they just do what we told them to do. And I feel like at the end of this 
whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus saying, just do what I tell you to do. I went through the whole, I gave you the game plan in Matthew 5 and 6 and half of Matthew 7. Now I'm telling you, just do it. Just do what I tell you to do. I get really frustrated with my team sometimes. I'm glad that God is more patient with me than I am with them. But we start looking at this. So he says, everyone who hears these words of mine, everyone who hears these words of mine, that's the opening part of this house in the rock section. I'd invite you to take your Bible and just skip back a couple pages. What are these words of mine? So in case you didn't uh, get to read through and kind of these different sections and segments of the Sermon on the Mount, back up to page 809. Page 809, you see, you know, right before where it says chapter 5, it says the Sermon on the Mount. And then it has all these different segments. And we started last week with the Beatitudes, which I think is a real good on-ramp to kind of giving us a perspective of why Jesus teaches the way he does. So we're just going to flip through quickly. After the Beatitudes, you see on page 810, the salt and light section. You're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. Then after that, it says Christ came to fulfill the law. Then you have this whole segment of things that says, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you, right? Moses said this, and now I'm telling you that. Moses said, live this way. Now I'm telling you this way, right? He's raising the bar in terms of anger. If you go to the next page, in terms of lust, he talks about divorce. He talks about oaths. He talks about retaliation. If you go to the next page on the right, 811, it says, love your enemies. He teaches about how to love your enemies. Then he talks about giving to the needy. In chapter 6, you see the spiritual discipline section about giving, and then about praying, and then about fasting, and then about giving again, about laying up treasures in heaven. At the bottom of 811, you see this do not be anxious section. He teaches us about this. You get to chapter 7 on page 812, it says judging others. And then this section on ask and it will be given. And then in, in these Bibles, it says the golden rule. Sometimes in some Bibles, it says the wide and narrow gates, Right? And then this part where we read, a, a tree and its fruit, and then we read this, I never knew you, and build your house on the rock. So when he says, everyone who hears these words of mine, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about this game plan. So I told you how to live. I told you how to handle these situations. You have enemies? Here's how I want you to handle this. You're married? Here's how I want you to do it. In terms of anger, in terms of lust, in terms of oaths, the way we talk. This is how I want you to live. He gave us his game plan, and now at the end he says, now do it. Just do what I told you to do. You'll notice here in this little house on the rock section, as you pick it up at verse 24 through 27, that's a real similar story. We have two guys, and they have a lot in common. They probably actually have a lot more in common than they don't have in common. Here's the first thing they have in common. They heard the words. If you notice carefully, and it says, Everyone who hears these words of mine is like a wise man. And then he later says, everyone who hears these words of mine, they both heard the word. And that's interesting, isn't it? That everybody hears these words. It kind of reminds me of that parable, the sower and the seed, right? Where the farmer goes out and he sows a seed and he's got this satchel full of seed and he's scattering seed. And just like in a place like this, I don't know if we have 80 people or whatever, or if I'm in my classroom of 20 or 25, or my locker room with 12 you're scattering seed, and the seed is the same. Whether it falls on hard soil, or on the path, or in the thorns, or in good soil, I mean, that's up to the receiver of the seed, but the seed is the same. How are we hearing it? Are we hearing 
or listening, right? Hearing, everybody hears. Hearing is just a physical thing. It happens. It's one of our five senses. But do you listen? Everyone hears these words. How well are we taking it in? What is the condition of our heart? Here's the second thing they all had in common. Both of these guys built a house. They both built a house. They both built a life, you could say. In the different parts of a house, you know, you have, you have the foundation, you have the walls, and you have the roof, and you probably have some windows, and you have some doors, and, and you probably have some stairs. You have all these different things. I like to watch the DIY network. Anybody watch the DIY and, the, you know, home and gardens and stuff where they do all these house flipping and stuff? I love to watch these renovations. But so many of the houses look the same. I mean, in their main components, so many of our lives from the outside looking in have the same components. We have an identity. Everybody has an identity, right? Believer, non-believer. I have my identity. You have your identity. People who aren't believing have their own identities. They might base their identity in their wealth. They might base it on their occupation. They might base that on their appearance. Everyone has an identity. Everyone has a purpose. Whether or not that purpose is the same as mine or, or something that the Bible gives to them. We all have a purpose. You know, all these houses have these general components and principles. We all have different characteristics and attitudes. That's something we all have in common. Everyone has their own skill set and personality, things they like to do. We all have relationships. Believers and non-believers, we've surrounded ourselves by family, by friends, by coworkers, by neighbors, even by enemies. We all are in different relationships. They're part of our house, they're part of the life that we've built are the people around us. One other thing I thought of was just kind of holistic health. We have a mind, a body. We try to keep our mind healthy. We try to keep our body healthy. You know, we do these things for different reasons. So everyone has a house. We've all built a house. We've all built a life. And from the outside looking in, it might look pretty similar. Oh, yeah, you know, that guy has friends, and I have friends, and I have a job, and we live on the same street. And, you know, we all drive cars. We have our lives that we lead. Here's the third thing they have in common. They all face storms. And isn't that true? We all face storms. Believers and non-believers alike. Jesus says that himself. He says, you know what? He causes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous, and it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. Sometimes my students say to me, hey, why do bad things happen to good people? I say, well, who is good? They're like, oh yeah, Mr. B, okay, theology. So, <laughs> you know, like we, we like to pretend like we're the good people. Like, well, bad things. Why do bad things, well, no, bad things, have, storms come, don't they? Lots of storms. And, and you could probably interpret these storms lots of different ways. You know, my initial interpretation, I think the most common interpretation of these storms he's talking about, things like death, right, we all face death. That's one of life's guarantee for ourselves and for the people around us. We face disease. Some people deal with divorce. People deal with conflict. People deal with stress. People deal with financial things. Like every single person faces storms, right? The wise man and the foolish man, they all face these storms. Storms come and storms go. But then as I started to study this passage a little bit more carefully and read some different commentaries and look what, what are the professionals and you know, different pastors think about this sort of thing, I started to look at these storms a little bit different. Especially when you read it in the context that we read it today. When you back up a few verses. If you look at verse 22, it says this. On that day. On that day. I think it's pretty clear the day he's talking about is judgment day. Correct? On that day, when you're standing before the Lord God Almighty. On judgment day. And then he gets in this part about storms come. 
But if you know the situation, the culture, the land, the geography, the weather, storms came and storms went and, and you know, violently, just out of nowhere. See, he, Jesus is sitting on this Sermon on the Mount, right, by the Sea of Galilee. You have the Sea of Galilee here, you have the mountains behind him, and you have the desert, and you have all these different climate zones, right? And these different fronts and things would collide, and they could be perfectly calm, and out of nowhere, a storm comes up. I don't know how many of you are golf fans. Any golf fans in here? I've been watching British Open. I'm the only one. Okay, so we got two. Okay, three now. Thank you. Now we're coming out of the closet here with our golf fans. But, like, it's perfectly sunny and nice at the British Open and, like, calm, and guys are going, and then just the winds come 40 miles an hour. And then it starts pouring down rain. It's raining sideways, and then the sun comes out. And that's kind of how it is there, but that's how it was, too, in Israel when Jesus is teaching. Storms have come up out of nowhere. So I think what he's talking about with these storms possibly is the end times. Like you might be sitting here going along your business and doing your thing like, bam, here it is. And the end of the world comes like Jesus teaches. I'm not an end times expert, but just like it said when Jesus calmed the storm, like suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves, like it would just come out of nowhere. They'd be out there fishing and, and next thing you know, they're almost drowning storms. So three things they have in common. Everyone hears these words. Everyone faces, uh, everyone builds a house and everyone faces a storm. They have three big things in common. What's the difference between the wise and the foolish? The difference is the foundation, right? We got the one guy who built his house on the rock and the one guy who built his house on sand. You know, back to those shows I like to watch, you know, uh, you know, house rehabbers and all these, I can't remember what they're all called, like they're always flipping houses and stuff. Sometimes these guys buy these houses, like this is a nice looking house, I think we can pour $20,000 in this thing and, and make a big profit. And they go and see, start working on this house and they start tearing out some walls and realize, oh no, right? The plumbing, <laughs> the plumbing is bad or the electricity needs to be all rewired or when it gets to the worst of the worst, the worst possible thing they find, the foundation's no good. We got, we got nothing here, right? This, this is the most important part. What is the foundation of our life? What is the rock bottom? What are we building our identity on? If identity is a wall of this house, if our relationships are a wall of this house, if our purpose is another wall of this house, if our, our health is a wall of this house, what are those things built upon? What are the philosophies? What are the principles? What is the truth? Seems like so many people just want a good view, right? They build their house on sand. I want to be close to the action. Or some have a little bit more foresight in realizing that, you know what? The end is coming. Storms are coming. There's more to life than just a good view. This isn't the only thing coming here. And they have a little bit more foresight. You know, it says in Colossians 2, verse 8, this is one of my favorite verses. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive through worldly philosophy. I think about some of the worldly philosophies that you see so much if you read between the lines and these sort of of media or television shows as I deal with my students. Here's some of the different philosophies that rule the day. How about hedonism, right? It's all about pleasure. It's all about feeling good. 
And so we build our, our house on the idea like, my whole life is about feeling good and having fun. If that's your principle, if that's your foundation, it's pretty shaky. And the house might look pretty nice for a while, but it's going to come crumbling down. How about other philosophies? What about materialism? So much materialism, right? About, about stuff, about money, about possessions, about houses, about cars. And we build our life on this foundation of materialism. But we know that's pretty fickle too, isn't it? Our money can evaporate in a heartbeat. Our wealth can be, be lost in some bad misfortune. And we can't take it with us. How about moral relativism? A lot of people base their, their philosophies on relativism. Everything's relative. What is truth, they say? What is truth? What's right for me might not be right for you. What's right for you might not be right for me. Who am I to judge in this whole of political correctness and, and tolerance? That's a pretty shaky foundation. Let's rewind several hundred years to Isaiah. I think Jesus, when he teaches his house in the rock, he's rewinding. He's stealing from Isaiah 28, as he often did when he taught. Here's what Isaiah 28, verses 16 and 17 say. See, this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. The one who builds his house and rock will never be stricken with panic. I'll come back to that in a second. It says, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie, and water will overflow your hiding place. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Like Jesus is borrowing from Isaiah. But he says this, those who rely on it will never be stricken with panic. Storms come to everybody. I don't know the history of this church and all the people of this church, but I would imagine because I grew up in a CRC church and I continue to go to CRC, like, right? I'm surrounded with believers. And I've seen people go before me who face storms, people who have lost their spouse, people who have faced disease. But yet they, because they've built their life on a foundation of rock, they just weather the storm with such dignity and grace. And God is glorified in their struggles. True? You've seen people like this different heroes of faith, the saints that have gone before you, like, wow, like what a testimony, what strength. And then you've also seen people who don't build their house on the rock, and storms come, and everything's a mess, isn't it? They have nothing to turn to. They have no hope. They have no security. They don't have no foundation. When we built our lives on the truth of Jesus Christ on a solid rock, we will weather the storm better. There are inherent blessings for us when we do what he says, when we live the life he told us to live. So I think Jesus borrowed from Isaiah, and then later Paul borrows from Jesus. Listen to Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Our foundation is Jesus Christ and the truth of his word. As we sing um, 
from time to time, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. So we build our house on, on Christ, and the Holy Spirit dwells within this house, in this temple. That is the foundation of our life, of our identity. My identity is in Jesus Christ. My purpose is to live for him. My relationships are centered on him, right? We build everything. Everything has to come from there if we want things to be joined, to be unified. So what's the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? They, they do it. You know, as Nike says, right, just do it. I, I like Nike stuff. It just reminds me, like, reminds me of this parable. Just do it, right? Just do what I tell you to do. Next time you put your Nikes on or your T-shirt or your dry fit shorts, just think about that. Jesus says, just do it. If you look at this line, right, it says, the wise man, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. The only difference, and this is the foolish man, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not, right? Just two words, does not put, the, that's the difference. That's the only difference. If we think about Matthew seven twenty one through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will. What are you going to do? I have a short video I'd like you to see. Uh, this is from Francis Chan, you know, the famous pastor and author. And um, he says it better than I can, so I'll let you watch that. Why does that work in church and not anywhere else? Look, when, when, when my daughter comes to me and I say, hey, go, go clean your room, she knows better. She, she's not going to come back a couple hours later and say, hey, Dad, I memorized what you said to me. He said, go clean your room. You know, what am I going to say? Oh, good job. That's what I wanted. No. And, and she's not going to come to me and say, Dad, I can say, go clean your room in Greek. Listen, that's not going to fly. And, and what if she says, you know what? My friends and I, we're going to gather together and every week we're going to have a study and we're going to figure out what it would look like if I cleaned my room. <laughs> no, none of that's going to fly. Just go and clean it. She knows that. So why do we think that this type of thinking or this type of talk is going to work with Jesus? I mean, Jesus was as black and white as you get. He would look at people and he'd say, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? He says that in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I ask you to do? I mean, why would you call someone your master and then not listen to him? And, and he says in Matthew 7, 21, he goes, listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's only the one who actually does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Pretty convicting, huh? What do we do? What are we going to do about it? In James chapter 1, another convicting piece, verses 22 through 25, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. 
are we people who do or people who just talk about doing? I love this blessing here that's kind of inherent in this doing. He says the perfect law that brings freedom. Here's the thing I realize, and here's the thing I try to get my players to realize and my children to realize and thing I think God is trying to get me to realize and all of us. I gave you these, I told you to do this because I love you, because I want good things for you. I tell my players to do it this way because I want them to be successful. I want them to have fun. I want them to win. It's for your own good. So when we don't do what God tells us, we're like our own worst enemy, aren't we? You know, sometimes I have players who don't do what I tell them. Like I had, I had camp the last couple of weeks in middle school camp, and I love middle school camp. It's so fun working with those guys. But every now and then you get a couple of kids, like you tell them to do something, and they kind of look at you kind of cocky and kind of arrogant, and they just do it the same way they were doing it before. I'm thinking, you cocky little punk. You think you know better than I know? And then I'm reminded, man, I do the same thing to God every day, don't I? Like a cocky little punk. He told me how to live, but I go in my own arrogance and think, I can do it on my own. I can do it this way. And the person I'm hurting the most is me. And I'm hurting God. But I'm glad he's more forgiving than I am. You see, I noticed this about those who do it. Things tend to go better. You know, I, I picture people who live rebelliously and recklessly. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live the way I want to live. I'm going to party like it's 1999. I'm going to get involved with this and that and the other thing. Like, I'm going to do this. Like, okay, how'd that work out for you? What, what are the benefits of those things? What did you get from that? Where did that lead you? I just find throughout human history, you look and say, like, those who just do what, just do what I tell you to do, God says. So let me conclude this a little bit. So what do we do about it? Here, here's my steps just for myself as I look at this. The first thing is this. you got to hear these words of mine. The wise man heard the words. you got to keep hearing the word. Now, i got some guys on my team who, because they know they're not going to play much anyway, we're going through scattering report. They're not paying attention. They don't know what we're going to do when they come and set a double staggered screen. They don't know they're supposed to switch that one. Do I hear the word? Are we finding ourselves in places where we're actively engaged in listening to the word? And not just on Sunday, but on Monday through Saturday as well. Are we listening? Are we hearing? Do we know what is truth when those situations come? Do we know how to respond? Do we even know the game plan? you got to hear these words. Get involved in a Bible study. Get involved in some accountability. Read your Bible. Do devotions. Listen to the podcast. Books on CD. Listen to the Bible on your commute in your car. Hear truth. Here's the second thing. The second thing I challenge myself with. Every single time you hear it, you read your Bible, you go to the Bible study, you listen to a sermon, whatever the case might be, think this question, what am I going to do about it? How is this going to change the way I live? Because if you don't, what are we, what are we doing? We're just like Francis Chan's daughter who says, oh, I went and talked to my friends about what it would look like to clean my room. 
Or you might know the Greek, or you might know all about it, but if you don't do it, what's the point? What are you doing about it? What am I going to do? Here's the third thing I got to remember from this morning is this. Storms are coming. Judgment is coming. Storms are coming. It's, it's going, it's, that's a guarantee. It's going to happen. Will I be ready? Will I build my house on a firm foundation? Here's my next thing. I, I try not to procrastinate. You ever have that? Where you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you and you feel like, you know what, I really need to go encourage that person. Or maybe they feel the Holy Spirit leading you, I really need to get involved in this ministry or on this mission trip. Or I really need to write a letter. You know what, you feel the Holy Spirit encouraging, I really got to go confess to this person. I got to make this relationship right. And sometimes we have these urges, we feel God leading us or telling us or prompting us to do something. And we say, well, I'll, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And then we don't do it. At least that's how I am. I don't know if you can relate to that. Don't procrastinate. Do it. I, I don't know. It's different for everybody, right? What, what do you have to do? What do I have? They're different things. Maybe some of you have to say, you know what? I need to give because Jesus tells me to give. I need to learn to give. I need to serve. Or maybe I need to forgive. Maybe I gotta stop talking that way. I gotta start encouraging people. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe we struggle with anger. Maybe we struggle with lust. Like I need to, I need by God's spirit, I need help and restoration. I need to do this. But that we would be doers of the word with our feet set on solid rock. One more uh, passage I wanna read. This is from 1 Corinthians 3. I'll, I'll close with this. It says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. So remember that. Parents, okay, myself included, we got young kids. You're laying a foundation, you're building a house. They're going to build upon your foundation as well. What are, you, what are you laying down for them? And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If it builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, he goes in a, in a digression of valuable to invaluable. Right? He starts with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Right? It gets weaker and weaker. He says their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day... Right, judgment day, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with a fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Let's pray. God, we just pray that your spirit and your grace as pardon and as power would inspire us and motivate us and change us to do what you call us to do. Help us not to be cheap in our faith. Help us not just to want you as Savior, but help us to want you as Lord as well, that we would do what you call us to do. Thank you for your reminder and your word of that. We just thank you for your grace for times that we don't live up to that, for times that we fail. Um, give us the strength to try again. Thanks for your forgiveness. Here we pray. Amen.